What's up? We're live. I want to welcome everybody to Second Chance today, no matter where you're watching from. By the way, um, I watch on Facebook to see where people are watching from every week. Columbia, Arizona, Texas, um, Seattle, Los Angeles. It's been so cool. I want to say hey to Eric and Scott out in Arizona because I know they're watching right now. I want to say um, hello to our LifeSpring family in Sweetwater. Um, you guys weren't with us for Mother's Day, but had an incredible Mother's Day. Pastor John spoke, and two people accepted Christ at LifeSpring last week. So thanks, um, Pastor John, for being so faithful and bringing the Word. Glad you guys are back with us today. And just super excited about this series called He's Up to Something. And we're going to finish it out next week, which next week's just going to be, it's going to be special. It's going to be real unique. And then the week after, um, June the 3rd, I'll be preaching from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. I, like, I will literally be on the Mount of Olives. That's a cool place. That, that's where Jesus ascended and he's going to come back to. Pretty legit location. And then the week after that, we're going to start a series on spiritual warfare. And um, this is going to be one of the most intense uh, spiritual warfare series I've ever taught. In fact, if you have problems sleeping, um, this isn't going to help, um, but it's going to be, it's going to be true. It's going to be biblical. It's going to be legit. We're going to have a lot of fun diving into that. But today, if you have a Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter five, as we're going to continue this series called he's up to something. And I want to talk, I want to start out today by talking about remote controls. Now, some of you, once again, I always date myself in these illustrations. Some of you are going to have to just work with me and believe that there was a time in our history here in America, where we did not have remote controls. In fact, if you're around my age, you, you remember being the remote control for your mother or your father. They'll be like, hey, change that channel, change that channel. Now, I remember one time I was outside playing, and my dad was like, hey, get in here and change the channel. And I was like, change your own channel. I thought that. I didn't say it, which is why I'm still alive right now. But when remote controls came out, when remote controls first came out, they were super, super, um, almost said sinful. They were s simple. You had like a couple, like channel, volume, little button right there. That was it. Now, some of you are like, well, what about all the channels? We didn't have a lot of channels. We had three. If you lived in the city, you had five. But that was it. Remote controls were super, super simple back in the day. However, as things began to develop, things like VCRs, those are fossils now, but VCRs, and then there was DVDs, and then there were DVRs, and I've gone to people's houses where they literally had like seven remote controls, you know what I'm talking about, and you don't ever really know which one to pick up, and so somebody came up with an idea, one remote control to rule them all, right? And so there was a universal remote control. Now, nobody knows what this does. There are so many buttons. Now, somebody's watching right here going, I know what it does. And that's why you have no friends, because you understand this right here. There are so many combinations on this. There are so many buttons. Nobody could possibly know everything there is to know about this remote control. Now, some of you are wondering, I came to church today. I want to hear about Jesus. And we're talking about remote controls. Why are we talking about this? Well, it's real simple. Here's why. Most people, when it comes to walking with Jesus and Christianity, think this. you got to do the right things and say the right things and listen to the right things and dress in the right way. And there's all these combinations and stuff. But actually, if we study the Gospels, following Jesus is more like this. 
It's not complex. It's simple. It's not difficult to understand. It's easy. It's Jesus never meant for this. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There are people watching today, and the reason you walked away from church isn't because you don't love Jesus, and it has nothing to do with um, the, believing that Jesus rose from the dead. The reason you walked away from Jesus is you met too many of these people. When in actuality, Jesus called us to be these people. So we're going we're gonna to look at Luke chapter 5 as we're studying the story of Peter, and he's up to something. We, we said he's up to something in Peter's life, but the same thing he's up to in Peter's life, he's up to in our lives. Now, before we get to Luke 5, i got to go through Matthew 23. So let me, let me kind of read this to you. Here we go. Matthew 23. Jesus is, um, this is right before Jesus is crucified. In Matthew 23, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, let me stop real quick and kind of explain that. Right here, Jesus is making a reference to the Torah. They didn't call it the Old Testament because they didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't even call it the Bible. They called it the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. And in the Torah, there were 600 and 13 commands. I hate to break this to you. There's not 10 commandments. There's 613. 613 commands. So the more of those commands you kept, think about that remote control, the universal one. That's what it looked like. The closer you were to God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and safely say if there's 613 commands, I've probably broken about 600 of them. And and so have all of us, right? So Jesus right here is making a reference to the Torah, but he does something else. And it's real subtle. In fact, I read this for years, and I didn't catch this until my first trip to Israel. He said, "So you, verse 3, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now that's huge, because in addition to the Torah, they had something called the Mishnah. The Torah was the written law, The Mishnah was the oral law. And it wasn't written down until I think about three or 400 um, AD. But in the Mishnah, there were about two to 3,000 extra commandments in addition to the Torah. So the Torah, these were the commandments that they followed. And the Mishnah were the additional commandments that wouldn't even let you get close to the commandments. Let me give you a modern-day illustration. When I was growing up, in pri- I, I mentioned last week, I went to private school, I got in trouble one time for saying the word heck. Now, quick question. Why did I get in trouble for saying the word heck? Because it's close to the word, everybody say it? Hell, hell yeah, everybody just cussed, it was great. So, <laughs> no, when I was growing up, you didn't say hell. You just didn't say it. Even pastors, when they were preaching about the subject of hell, would not say hell. They'd say where the devil lives, or the hot place, or the fireplace, or whatever like that. They wouldn't talk about hell. So I remember one time I said the word heck, and somebody was like, you can't say that. Why not? Because it's close to the word hell. And if you say heck, before you know it, you're going to be saying hell. And I remember just saying, if I would want to say hell, I'd have said hell. And I was at a private school, so I got to go to the office. But 
It, it's the same thing. You couldn't say shoot because it was, don't say it. it was, you couldn't say shoot because it's close to, you couldn't say darn because it was close to the other word. So there were these extra commandments that you got in trouble for that weren't even in the Bible just to keep you close from this. And it was so difficult in this time to follow Jesus. It was so It was such a challenge that a lot of people simply walked away. Not because they were bad people. It's just because they were like, I can't do all this stuff. And if you've ever felt like that when it comes to Christianity, I completely understand. Now, we're going to take that, we're going to kind of shelve it right here for just a second. I'm going to talk about something else, and I promise I'm going to bring these two things together at the end. Before Peter followed Jesus, he was a, anybody in the room want to guess? He was, not a trick question, what was his occupation before he followed Jesus? He was a fisherman, exactly. Now, one of the things, um, Peter was in, a, he, he, was in a, he was a fisherman in a town called Capernaum, which is a little village right on the Sea of Galilee. Now, for those of you that follow on Facebook or Instagram, we'll be putting pictures up while we're in Israel. We're actually going to put some pictures up of Capernaum. It's still there. They've excavated it from the time of Jesus. It's a really cool place. But Peter would have been a fisherman. He was a business owner. Now, one of the things I learned when I was over there on a trip one time that I'd never realized is fishermen actually had to pay taxes on the fish that they caught. That's why there's parables when they catch fish and Jesus said, well, you know, you'd keep the good fish and you throw the bad fish away. Why do you throw the bad fish away? Because you don't want to pay taxes on them. Because whenever you catch fish, you had to pay taxes on them. So imagine this for just a second. Do you think it was possible that there was a little bit of tension between Peter and the tax collectors in Capernaum? Yes or no? Yes. There was probably some tension because that you were catching fish and you had to pay taxes on them. Now, tax collector, tax collector, we don't even have a modern-day parallel for tax collector. We don't. Tax collectors were some of the most wicked, evil, twisted people in the world. In order to be a tax collector, especially if you were Jewish and you were a tax collector, you had to turn your back on the nation which meant you turned your back on the temple, which means you turned your back on God, which means you were essentially okay with knowing that when you died, you were going to go to hell. Okay? The only thing I could think of, I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent of tax collector, and I, I, the only thing I could think of is, say, let's say you're going to hang out with a friend tonight, and, and they say, hey, you know, we're going to hang out tonight. And you go, yeah. And they go, hey, before we hang out tonight, there's something you need to know about me. Last night, I sold my soul to the devil. Nobody in this room would be like, that's awesome. Yeah, that, no, all of us would find an excuse to be like, yo, I got a colonoscopy I got to get to, so I can't, we can't hang, right? So, so you, got, you got Peter, who's a business owner. Then you got tax, now, here's the, here's the other thing we need to remember about Capernaum. It was a small village. So everybody knew everybody. Everybody Knew everybody. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to read this passage of Scripture. After this, and when it says after this, it's referring to when they lowered the man through the roof and Jesus healed him. Okay, that's what we talked about. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting 
at his tax booth. Now, pause for just a second. Pause for just a second. This is real interesting. Can you imagine the scene where Jesus is walking up to the tax collector's booth? And Peter is maybe walking. I can just kind of see this happening. Peter is walking behind Jesus. And, and, and he's thinking, this is going to be awesome. Jesus is about to go off on Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus is about to tell him to stop. Jesus is about to tell him he needs to knock it off. Jesus is about to tell him how evil and wicked and twisted he is. I think Peter was thinking that because Matthew probably had taken advantage of Peter financially because Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a business owner in the same place. And then to everybody's surprise, even Peter, Jesus looks at Matthew and says, follow me. How simple is that? Jesus didn't say, hey, Matthew, here's a book with 613 commandments. Get these down. When you get these down, I got about 3,000 more I need to come drop on you. And when you get all of that just right, and you get all the buttons pushed, and you know the exact right combinations, then you can follow me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Matthew was collecting taxes. So essentially, this is so scandalous. Matthew was in the act of sinning. So while Matthew is in the act of sinning, Jesus says, follow me. He didn't even tell him to stop. Now, I'm not saying you sin and stop. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just reading a story in the Bible. Jesus walks up to Matthew and he doesn't make it difficult. He just said, follow me. And the Bible says, you know, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him, which seems a little weird. It's like, okay, here comes Jesus. He's got long hair, and he's a hippie, and he's wearing some Birkenstocks and a white robe that's always clean, even though it's very dusty in the Middle East. And he says, follow me. And Matthew, it, it seems irresponsible, but we got to understand at this point, Matthew knew Jesus. Matthew had heard Jesus teach. Matthew knew who Jesus was. And the Bible says that Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Now, let me tell you why this is so huge. Because Jesus invited Peter at one time to follow him too. And what's real unique is Matthew wrote the story down. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. The same call that Jesus gave to Peter the fisherman was the same call he gave to Matthew the tax collector. And it's the same call he gives to us today. Follow me. Because Jesus knows that the more we follow him, the more we'll become like him. But some people can't follow Jesus because there's too many rules and regulations in the way. And for me personally, I had to give up the idea of being a good Christian so I could actually follow Jesus. And so, so what... What does it take to follow Jesus? Well, let me give you three things that help me. Now, listen to me. 
These aren't three things you have to do because that's, once again, bringing some difficult stuff. I'm just saying these are three things that I believe really do help us if we want to follow Christ. They're super simple. They're super easy. And I'm just going to talk about them. Here we go. Number one, the first thing, if we're going to follow Christ, we got to see Him. We, if we're going to follow something, we got to see it or see Him. Now, I don't know about you. I'm super, super super thankful for GPS on my phone because before, I mean, and, and it works most of the time. I mean, every once in a while, I went to see a friend recently. He told me about GPS and I wound up in a cow pasture and I, I literally, I, I, and I had a truck at the time, so it was awesome. Um, but if you'll remember, and this is especially true in the South, years ago when we didn't have GPS, how jacked up are our directions? It, like in New York, it's easy. It's like you go down two blocks, you go over one block, you're there. In the South, it's like, well, you know, how do we get there? Well, you're going to go down two red lights, and you're going to take a right. You're going down about half a mile. Miss Thompson lives there. It's a double wide. She's got a wash and dry out front because all them kids, she ain't got enough room in her house. And so she, you turn right at that double wide, and you go down about a quarter of a mile, you see a big old tree with a tire. I mean, it's so jacked up. And so what I would always say when somebody tried to give me directions is like, you know what? I'll just follow you. I'll just follow you. Now, have you ever followed somebody? To, like, you didn't know where you're going. They knew where they were going. How intense is it when you're following somebody? Like, do you get intense? Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I'm following you, if you hit your brakes, I'm in your back seat, right? If you run a red light, I'm running the red light with you. I am all, an, oh, oh, you want to cause tension? Have you ever been following somebody and another car gets in between y'all? Just Cuss words. That, that's, I'm sorry. I've got a, got a long way to go in my process. So, so if you're going to follow somebody, you've got to actually be able to see them really closely. The reason Matt, Jesus said, follow me, and he started walking, and Matthew followed him because he saw him. So with this in mind, let me ask you this question. What is it that you do that helps you see Jesus more clearly? There's not a right or wrong answer here. What is it that you do that helps you see Jesus more clearly? Let, I, let me give you some options. For me, I love to start my day every day with a cup of coffee, black coffee, the way Jesus intended for it to be drank. And, and thank you. I got an amen on that, right? See, some of y'all, some of y'all, you put too much cream and sugar in it. And that's a milkshake. Let's just be honest. You drink a milkshake every morning. It's not coffee. So I drink coffee and I love to read the Bible. I love, that's how I feel the most connected with God is when I'm reading the Bible. And I love to read it and cross-reference stuff. And little, I geek out just a little bit when I'm reading the scriptures. Um, but listen to me, that might not be your thing. I don't think reading the Bible is a bad thing, but I'm asking you, how do you see Jesus? How do you connect with him? What is it that you do? Because I know some people that they are what I call prayer warriors. They love to pray, and they can pray. And I know some people that are God's favorite. Like, whatever they pray for, they get. I hadn't got on that list yet, but, it, like, they, they just love to pray. Now, I'm not good at prayer. I do pray, but it's not my primary way of connection. But some people love to pray. I've got some friends that tell me the way they connect with God is as soon as they wake up in the morning, the very first thing they do is they pull up a worship song on their phone, and they just lay in bed for about five to ten minutes and they just sing along or just kind of listen and think and focus or whatever. And I'm like, that is awesome. 
I don't, I'm not going to be the guy that steps in with a referee jersey and a whistle and blowing it going, nope, foul. You got to read your Bible, then you got to pray, then you got to journal, and then you got to go on a walk, and then you got to meditate. I mean, dear God, who can do all that stuff? So, so there's not a right answer here. They, what do you do that helps you see Jesus clearly? Because this is what I believe. If we see Jesus clearly, we'll follow him closely. But we'll never follow somebody that we can't see. And so at the end of the day, we've got to figure out what is it that helps us to see Jesus more clearly. And then, don't miss this, we've got to be intentional about it. Whatever that is, we've got to be intentional about it. Whether it's five minutes, whether it's ten minutes, whether it's two minutes, but you've got to put it on your schedule every single day. If you hear something, that is an airplane. We're having an air show in Anderson. We're not being attacked by the Russians. All right. By the way, if you're watching in Russia, how you doing? Um, you got to, like, let me just say this. Nobody has ever accidentally followed Jesus. It's got to be intentional. So, and listen, when that is, it's up to you. I love to do it in the mornings because I'm a morning person. I wake up between 4 and 5 o'clock every morning And I am, like, as soon as I wake up, I am wired. I am ready to go. I am in it. Now, I go to bed at, like, 7 o'clock at night, but I am 4 or 5 in the morning. That's when I love to do it. But maybe for you, it's lunch. Maybe you're a night person. I don't know. I'm just saying it's got to be intentional. It's got to be what helps you see Jesus clearly. And when you, listen, do that for about a year and watch what he does in your life. This is not about getting Jesus to love you. That's taken care of. It's about change taking place because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We don't really know when Matthew shut down the tax collector's business. But we do know when he started following Jesus. And eventually, because he followed Jesus, he walked away from what he shouldn't have been doing. And eventually became an apostle and a a martyr. He died in Ethiopia sharing the gospel. So, first thing we got to do is we got to see. Second thing is surrender, which is really difficult for people like me. Just got a question. You're in church or you're watching church, be honest. How many of you would admit that you are a control freak? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, most people. Now, the true control freaks didn't raise their hand. Because they're like, I, I ain't raising my hand. Because you're trying to control me right now. So I, I am a, I'm a self-confessed control freak. Like, like for example, um, oh, God. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. I turn down most dinner requests when people go, you should come over to my house for dinner. My answer is no. You know why? Because I, Carly, Carly, Carly and Zach, Carly said, you should come over to my house for dinner. And I'm like, no. I would never come over to your house for dinner. I'll meet you and Zach for dinner, but I'm not going to her house. You know why? Because she's like a vegan or a pescatarian, and she'll feed me an eggplant, and I don't want to eat an eggplant. I want to shoot an eggplant, but I don't want to eat an eggplant, right? So, so I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I'm a li- so, so, for example, when somebody says, I want you to come for dinner, I'm like, what time are we going to eat? Get there at 6. It's not what I ask you. I ask you what time we're going to eat, because if I get there at 6 and we're not eating until 7.30, I'll get hangry, and I'm, I'm going to start eating like the plastic fruit in the fruit bowl, okay? So I need to know, and what are we eating? Well, it's a surprise. Uh-uh, I don't do surprises. 
I don't like surprises. Don't surprise me. Tell me exactly what it's going to be, right? I have to have details. Most of us, if we're honest, we have to have details when somebody's inviting us to do something. Yes or no? Okay, which is insane, because think about this. If, if I were Matthew in this story, things would have probably turned out a little bit different. Jesus comes up to me and says, follow me. My question would have been, where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? Who else is going to be there? Oh, Peter's going to be there? No, we had that business deal. It went a little south, man. I'm not sure I can be hanging out with Peter. There are so many questions that I've got but Matthew, Jesus comes up and says, follow me. And Matthew just does it. Who does that? Answer, somebody that trusts the person they're following. We'll never follow somebody that we, we can't trust. And we'll never trust somebody that we cannot see. Matthew trusted Jesus. Now, once again, this isn't the first time that Matthew had seen Jesus or heard Jesus. In fact, Luke 5 the story of Matthew following Jesus, Matthew chapter 9 is the parallel. Matthew records this story in his gospel, Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew had heard Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount. He had actually wrote it down in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew was aware of who Jesus is, but all of a sudden Jesus walks up and says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. No questions, no reservations. He just stands up and he follows Jesus, he lived what is called a life of surrender. Jesus, I don't know what the question is, but the answer's yes. Isn't that insane? This is, this is the thing that's so hard for me personally, because I'm such a, I need some details. Jesus, yes, I'm going to go. Let me stop right here, and I want you to hear me out before you go off, okay? Because some people are not going to like this. Did you notice Matthew didn't pray for peace? And, and the reason I say that is this. You talk to some people about following Jesus. Hey, have you made that decision? I'm just praying for peace. I want to go ahead and let you know that praying for peace, quote-unquote, is completely unbiblical. Now, some people go, well, the Bible says in Philippians 4 that God will give you the peace that passes all understanding. Yes, that's for people who have anxiety and struggle with anxiousness, and by the way, it's Thanksgiving, and there's all this, it's not the same thing. What most people are saying for when they say, I'm praying for peace, is I don't really want to make the decision, so I'm throwing it off on God. And when God gives me a guarantee that everything's going to be okay, and everything's going to be all right, and I don't actually have to worry about anything, then I'll do it. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he gave his life, did he pray for peace? No. He prayed, God, I don't want to do this. Three times. We don't get peace before we surrender. We get peace as we surrender. Does that make sense? We don't get peace before we surrender. We get peace as we surrender. And if you're walking into something that's comfortable, it's because you're walking into your history, not your destiny. Because our destiny always makes us uncomfortable, okay? So, so it's, it's one of those things that we got to stop gravitating the, toward the familiar because, once again, it goes back to seeing Jesus. If we see Him, we'll surrender. Now, here's the crazy thing, and I talked about this, that we got to imagine. It, it blows my mind when I imagine this. 
Jesus loved Matthew the tax collector as much as he loved Matthew the disciple. Love. In fact, I was listening, um, I was reading something the other day by an author who said he moved to an area of the country and he was doing some research on this area of the country. And the term born again about a hundred years ago in this particular area of the country did not exist. He actually said when somebody met Christ, the term that was used was, quote, being seized by the power of a great affection. So Matthew, when Jesus said, follow me, I think he was just seized by the power that this guy loves me. And if he loves me like I am, I'll follow. And he surrendered. Now, here's the reason people don't want to surrender to Jesus. It goes back to that really complex remote control. I've got to do this, and I've got to push these buttons. I've got to do this. I've got to da 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 No, no, no. Jesus just said, follow me. And notice the first thing that happens when Matthew starts following Jesus. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. That's just another word of saying that a party went down. Now, let me promise you something about Jewish culture 2,000 years ago and today. They know how to celebrate. I have been in church services, and they broke out in dancing, right? And, and like, it was awesome. They were, da- I, didn't, I'm, I didn't dance because I can't, but, but I wanted to. It was amazing. So there's an incredible party going on. And a large, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, don't miss this. This is so huge. In America... If I have a meal with you, it doesn't mean anything. It, it probably meant we ran, into each, we ran into each other at a restaurant, we ate real quick. In Jewish culture, meals can take two to three to four hours. And when you share a meal with somebody, you're saying, I'm doing life with you. So, so Matthew's like, oh, oh, and don't miss this, don't miss this. Je- Jesus said, follow me. And the first thing that Matthew did was step into a place of joy. When we follow Jesus, He's leading us towards joy. This is, it's a party, not a Bible study or a theology class. It's a party. I think, I think, let me pause. This isn't even in my notes, but I need to stop and say this. I think Christians should show the world how to celebrate. We should show the world how to party. My God, everybody in Cleveland's going nuts because Cleveland beat Boston last night. Big freaking deal. In 20 years, it won't matter. It won't matter. But we'll let basketball teams out-celebrate us. I think that's a shame. I think we need a second chance. We're throwing some parties. All right, we just got to get a building first. We're working on it. Hang in there. So the Bible says he threw a large party. Tax collectors and others were eating with them. Verse 30. But the Pharisees, these guys are always in the story. They're always in the story. These are the people with the... Universal remotes, right? They do everything right. They dot the I's. They cross the T's. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Let me stop real quick. When you're following Jesus, don't ever expect that you'll be understood or approved of. If you're the type of person 
that needs everybody to understand you or approve of you, it's highly possible you'll never step into what Jesus has called you into. Matthew's following Jesus. This is an amazing... And and the Pharisees, they show up and tell him he's doing it wrong. That's the first thing. (laughs) When you tell Jesus you're doing it wrong, that's a problem. That's a problem, okay? Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, which this was kind of like a slap in their face because the Pharisees had memorized the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it actually says there is no one righteous, not even one. So Jesus is essentially saying to them, guys, you're not as good as you think you are. But he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's the thing I know. If Jesus is calling you, it's ultimately to a place of joy. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. I'm not saying we're not going to have struggles. But I'm saying that Jesus is ultimately after our joy, not our begrudging submission. Number three, number three, we got to surround. If you're really going to follow Jesus, if we're really going to follow Jesus, then we just got to surround ourselves with people that are following Jesus. Jesus didn't call Matthew to follow him and they were just going to hang out for the rest of their lives. He called Matthew into a community. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, they were all there. And there was a group of people that together, and you know why? You know why? You know why I need other people in my life? Because there's some days I'm too weak to follow Jesus by myself. And there's days like that for you too. And, and the, kind of peop- the kind of crowd it should be, I was reading this story the other day and I was so moved by it. There was a group, um, there was an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. And there were, all, there were about 10 or 11 people in this meeting. And if you've ever been to an AA meeting, you know anything about AA, it all starts the same. And you kind of you know, you do the 12 steps and um, say the prayer, and then somebody goes first. And in this particular meeting, this guy, was, this guy spoke up, and he said, I've been clean for seven years until last Monday. And he just told his story. He said, you know, last Monday I went... And I um, went to my brother's house, and things got heated, and I, I got by myself, and I was alone, and the next thing I knew, he said I drank, and he said the next day, he said I drank all week. He said, in fact, today's my first day sober. He said, I am so sorry I've let everybody down. And in this book, I was so moved because nobody in the circle started lecturing him. In fact, the first guy said, Hey, man, you've been clean for seven years. He said, I haven't made it seven weeks. And the person next to him got up and gave him a hug and said, Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to walk through this together. We're going to help you get through this. And because of the power of that community who did not heap condemnation but had compassion, because this is the deal. When somebody screws up, they already know it. They don't need to be given a list of the 17 things they did wrong. They need somebody to come along, put their arm around them, and say, you know what? We're going to walk together and help you get this right. Because Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, once again, remember, Jesus made it simple. Jesus said this, a new command I give you, which when he said that, everybody's rolling their lives. They're like, oh my 
gosh, we've got 613. We've got 3,000 over here. What in the world? Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Take all that, put it aside. This is what I'm telling you to do. Love one another. Okay. Well, Jesus, how are we supposed to love each other? Glad you ask. As I have loved you. That's pretty much unconditional. Okay? In fact, in fact, don't miss this. Peter denied Christ. How many times does anybody know? Three times. And instead of, instead of putting Peter in time out, he put him in charge of the whole thing. Isn't that crazy? He said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. By this, by what? By what I just said. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. By the theology you know. By the amount of Bible verses you can quote. By the hours of prayer that you spend. No, no, no. Jesus said, the mark of somebody that follows Him is we actually love other people. Now, Jesus said, as I have loved you. So the people that Jesus loved were nothing like Him. That means we love people even when they're nothing like us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So at the end of the day, the question is, what is your next step? What is your next step in your walk with Jesus? And the reason I've got this picture up here is your next step has nothing to do with this. It's simple. What's the next thing that Jesus, when Jesus is saying, follow me, what is your personal next step? Now, right here is usually where I'll begin to list out like possibilities. Maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, but I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because most people go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it for me right there. No, 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 no. I want you, when we pray together in a few minutes, I want for you to legitimately, if you have the courage, to ask Jesus what your next step is. And then, don't miss this. If you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Just surrender. Just surrender. I've never met anybody who told me the worst decision of my life was to follow Jesus. This is a bad decision. This is not. So at the end of the day, what's your next step in your relationship with Jesus? Because we've all got one. As we step into it, we're stepping into joy, we're stepping into celebration, and we're stepping into immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So with that in mind, let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, thank you so much for making it so simple to follow you. Forgive me for the times, Jesus, I've, I've made it way too complex for myself and others. I pray for every single person watching, listening, God, that you will speak so clearly during these next few moments and let us know what is our next step. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I would just ask you right now where you sit, whether you're watching online, you're in this room, you're at LifeSpring, to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is my next step? Maybe your next step is to actually accept Jesus into your life. 
Maybe you're here and you've always thought, I could never ask Jesus in my life because I can't do all that stuff. But you realize today that you can do what He called Matthew to do, and that's follow, follow Him. It's as easy as asking Jesus to come into your life. And maybe you know, maybe you know right here today that that's your next step is to become a follower of Jesus and ask Jesus into your life. If that's you, I want you right where you sit to pray in your heart right now, right now. You say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you rose from the grave. Right now, I receive you into my life. Take over, Jesus, and take control in Jesus' name. Now, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you're online, if you'll do the hand raise thing, or if you're on Facebook, if you'll give us a hand raise emoji, if you're at LifeSpring right now, if you'll just put your hand up and put it up high just for a second or two, just because we want to see it, we want to celebrate with you the number of people that are accepting Christ today, whether you're watching online or at LifeSpring or here. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you save lives. May we all have the courage to step into surrender to follow you, Jesus. We love you and ask this in your name. Amen. I think my next step is to talk to the people who decide to pressure wash right outside our <laughs> church every... If you hear a noise, it's the pressure washer. Bless their hearts. They're working. Praise God for employment, right? Hey, um, let me say this before we um, sign off. I want to say thank you to everyone who's been praying for the building. We should have an update. I thought we were going to have it this week. Looks like next week we're going to have an update. I'll be able to give you some updated. But for those of you that are giving, um, thank you so much. Because of what you're doing, the way you're giving, we're able to kind of go ahead and get some of those early bills paid um, as far as designs and stuff like that. So thank you so much for participating in that. Thank you for being here today. Looking forward. Next week's going to be awesome. So don't miss it. Love you guys. The best is yet to come.